All right, everybody, welcome to New Life. If you would find a seat, that would be great. Great. Hey, uh, my name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors on staff. It's such an honor to have you guys here on the very first day of 2017. Can you believe that? Holy cow. Holy cow. Hey, I want you to turn to somebody really quick. You know, just look them in the eye, right? Deeply. Stare deeply into their eyes, right? Deeply. And just tell them, hey, congratulations. You got perfect attendance, church attendance in 2017. Come on. Just tell them, hey, awesome. Awesome. Perfect attendance. Yeah, um, that's great. Hey, I also want to say hello to everyone worshiping with us that's at our North Platte campus. They're live with us right now. Uh, thank you guys. Happy New Year to you. <clears throat> and all of those that are worshiping with us down in the venue. So we are one church, multiple locations. You're sitting in one of really six worship services that New Life has to offer on a Sunday morning. Uh, today we are going to kick off a brand new teaching series called Apostles' Creed. Apostles' Creed. Uh, how many of you guys grew up in a church that was more the uh, liturgical church where you would have quoted uh, the creed as an example every single Sunday? How many of you guys grew up in a church like that? All right. I knew it. I knew it. We got a lot of hands in the main auditorium. I guarantee we got hands in the venue in North Platte. Um, a lot of us came from that, that background. I personally didn't come from that background, and there was a lot of learning and a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff I had to do to educate myself to really figure out what does that style of worship really look like. And today, <clears throat> today we're at, that's kind of where we're going to go. So if you are from more of a liturgical background in your worship experience on a Sunday morning, then I guarantee you today when I talk about the Apostles' Creed, there's something inside of you that's just going, yes, that is awesome. I'm glad, I'm glad he's talking about that. Like, I remember it, but don't call on me because I don't know if I know every word, all right? Got it. Uh, but if you're more from like a, a new life background, a Pentecostal or an evangelical background, you're probably thinking to yourself, Pastor, I think, I think you lost it, man. We don't have creeds in our church. We just have the Bible, right? And so there's this like cold front, warm front thing colliding together in our auditoriums right now with people from different backgrounds that are wondering to themselves, I'm excited about this or where in the world is he going? Has he lost his mind? And I'm going to help you guys, uh, you know, today. I- I'm going to just let you know the creed, the Apostles' Creed, is an instrument given to the church that should point us back to God's Word. Always should point us back to God's Word. And today, that's what I'm going to let it do over these next few weeks. In fact, if you could use an illustration about it, the Apostles' Creed would kind of be like the moon, right? The moon, it, it lights up at night, but it doesn't have any light source, It's only a reflection of the sun, and it it reflects the sun, and therefore you look at the moon and you see light. The Apostles' Creed is the very same thing. It's kind of like the moon. It it reflects the truth or the light of God's word for us so that we can see more clearly what the essential beliefs and the essential doctrines are of God's word. So there's a few things that I really want to do um, in this teaching series. You know, like, like any good coach would have a strategy for winning, I have a strategy for winning in this teaching series. And here's a few things that I really want to see happen, and if they happen in your heart, then I will know over the next six weeks that we have this teaching series that we will have won. This would have been well worth our time. First off, I want to strengthen your theology of God. Through this teaching series, I want your theology of God to become more strong. Uh, I want your knowing of God, who is God, 
What makes up God? I want your theology of God to grow really strong. Another thing that I'm hoping to win with in this is that I want to stir a greater heart of unity inside of you for the greater body of the church of Jesus Christ. Um, That the church of Jesus Christ, those who call themselves Christians, those who believe that Jesus is God's only son and that God sent his son and that's only through Jesus that we can have relationship with God. That larger church that meets together on Sundays around the world underneath all kinds of different banners, they worship in different ways, um, in different fashions. Some of them use the Apostles' Creed. On a, every day, on an every Sunday gathering, some of them use, you know, the Lord's Prayer every time they gather together. Or some of us, like us, we come together and it's just a hodgepodge. And so I'm like, wh- wh- where do we want to go that day? I want you to have a greater value of unity and appreciation for those who worship in different churches, but are all worshiping the same God, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I also want to bring a clear understanding of what biblical doctrine is. I don't want you to be a group of people that are um, caught in the culture, the, the culture of, our, of what we live in, and just get swayed in your beliefs by what society and by what our culture says. I want you to be people that are rooted in God's word so that when the false teacher or when the, 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 the idea of man comes, that you will know that's just man's idea. That's not God's idea. I want to be rooted in more biblical doctrine. And last but not least, I will know if we won in this teaching series, if this happens inside of your heart. Um, and that is, I want to take this creed and I want to make it a life-giving and a practical tool for your personal spiritual journey. That's what I want it to be. Some of you, it, it's going to be like dusted off from the past and bring it back up. For others of you, it's going to be something fresh and brand new. But I really want to see it be a tool for you so that you can, you can use this to grow spiritually in your life. So where's, what's the history of, of the Apostles' Creed? Well, legend says that the apostles all together, they got together and they each had something that they wanted to say. They each had something that they felt was vitally important that Jesus had taught and that they're the ones that developed it line by line, word by word, each of them investing a piece of it. I just want, I want to let you know that if you had heard that or if you thought that that's maybe what it was because it's called the Apostles' Creed and maybe the apostles wrote it, that's not accurate. It was actually written by the early church and the first forms of it started to show up in history right before A.D. 200. And pieces and parts of it started to come together. It was somewhere around the 500s that the actual creed was formalized and put together in, in the verbiage of which we will be quoting it very, very similarly uh, to what it was originally written. <clears throat> and it was somewhere around the 500s that it happened. But the reason why they even came up with the creed, they came up with the creed because they needed a way to disciple people. They needed a way to make sure that everybody was on the same page you know, doctrinally, when it came to this newfound religion that was being birthed from Jesus, who came and he lived and he preached and he died and he rose again from the grave, and they had to make sure that those people who called themselves Christians all had the same doctrinal belief. Therefore, the early church leaders started coming up with this statement of beliefs that now could be passed down from generation to generation from community to community, so that everybody would be on the same page. If you called yourself a Christian in the early church, then you would have identified yourself by the creed. <clears throat> now the creed, the creed, because in those early days, you know, all we had was manuscripts. 
manuscripts of you know old testament writings and then and then somewhere in you know like 60 70 80 and 90 ad you've got the gospel books that are being written and then you've got paul who starts you know writing the letters to you know uh, galatia and to ephesus and to philippi and to Colossae, and he starts writing these books, and all these things are just kind of like individual manuscripts that are just kind of spread out all over the place. They didn't have the Bible like you and me have the Bible. So this creed was vitally important to instill with inside of people, what is it that the Old Testament, right, the Torah, what is it that it was saying so that we could all be on the same page? Therefore, we have the creed. The creed is a statement of beliefs, period. That's what it is. But because it's a statement of beliefs, it creates great unity and cohesiveness among those who would believe it and live it. There was a power there that really, really began to happen with the Christians from all over the known world that there was this unification that was taking place even though they didn't see each other. There was also this ability that the creed was giving the early church to keep them from false doctrine so that if it didn't fit inside the matrix of the creed, then we don't believe it. And it kind of helped them stay on a narrow path that leads to life. But the creed, it, had, it, it drove deep the truth of God's word into their hearts. And that's the very thing that we want to have happen today. The Apostles' Creed is used today all around the world in multiple different denominations as an act and a form of worship. You know, today, on Sunday, you know, uh, January 1st, in Africa, African Pentecostals are having a moment in their worship service where they're standing and they're quoting the creed together. Just like the Korean Presbyterians are doing the very same thing today. And the German Lutherans are meeting together and they're using the creed as a moment to, you know, unify and to quote what it is that they actually believe. And just like many of you grew up doing, we today are going to join with the larger church of Jesus Christ, and we are going to prepare our hearts for God's word by proclaiming this powerful truth called the Apostles' Creed. Then I'm going to teach you on a couple of the beginning statements of it. Then before we have our time of response, our worship time, where our worship team comes to lead us in worship again, we're going to quote the the Apostles' Creed again. I guarantee you that Between the moment that you quote it now and the moment at the end of the sermon, some of the words in it are going to take on a much deeper and grander meaning to you than what they ever have before. It's going to go from a rote thing that you're going to quote to something that's going to have deep spiritual meaning on a couple of the words. And as we keep going through this teaching series, that's my desire, is that an instrument and a tool like the Apostles' Creed might be something that just starts to activate faith and activate a passion of Christ inside of you like maybe it never has before. So why don't you stand with me and let's start our our time of worship together by all being on the same page as we quote the statement of beliefs that I believe. Let's say it together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. 
The third day, he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for joining me with that in North Platte and in the venue. I appreciate that. Let's break this statement down phrase by phrase, and in some places, word by word. As we, as we grasp to really comprehend and understand the power behind what this statement is really saying. It starts out by saying, I believe in God, the Father Almighty. Here's the deal. Many people believe in God. You know people that believe in God. The bigger question is this, who is God? So there's a lot of people in America and around the world and family members that you know that we go, yeah, I believe in God. But when it comes to defining who God is, that's when... It's kind of like the definition of God, it it scatters. It just kind of goes all different directions. And this is not new to us now in 2017. I got to get used to saying that instead of 2016. If I skip, if I say 2016, you'll know that I mean 2017, right? Okay, thank you for grace. I appreciate that. Um, It's not just a problem that we have today in our culture, society, and in our world of people wanting to self-define God. This This has been a problem Um, It's been a cancer, basically, to the heart of humanity ever since the beginning of days. Man is always wanting to define God the way he wanted God defined, instead of defining God based on what God's Word says, what the Bible has to say as the one true God. In fact, in the 18th century, Jonathan Edwards, a powerful revivalist that really stirred up Christianity in some massive ways, was preaching in Massachusetts and he was preaching about revival, and he wanted to see the whole town you know, come to know God. And he wanted to see the church revived, and people in the, inside the church just really know God. And after this passionate message, a congregant came up to him and said, Pastor, why is it that you keep preaching about revival, that people need to believe in God? Everybody in our town believes in God. Jonathan Edwards said back to this person, yes, that's true, but what kind of God do they believe in? He went on and he said, but when I show them the God of the Bible, they say, no, 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 not him. I don't believe in that God. I believe in a God who is more of my liking, of my own self-defined liking. If that was happening back in the 18th century, it's definitely still happening today. And it was happening before that. Knowing who God is, is the bigger issue than just believing in God. It's not good enough just to believe in God. We have to accurately really define God. And the Bible says to us that God is knowable. The character, the very nature of God, he is knowable. And it even says that in, looking with me in John 17. It says, and this is the way to have eternal life. Pause. This is Jesus saying it. This is Jesus saying, and this is the way to have eternal life. To what? To know you. Jesus was in this moment making this prayer, making this statement to his father, and he's saying for humanity to have eternal life, it's to know the father, 
the only true God and Jesus Christ, the one who you sent to earth. That we have the ability to know God. I don't know what you think about that. I think sometimes it kind of blows our mind. Is it possible to know God? Well, it's not possible to know everything about God. I mean, come on. He's the one that created all things. Even the Bible says that his ways are higher than our ways. His wisdom is greater than our wisdom. But it's possible to know God in a more intimate relationship way. But see, the word know there isn't about like I know, like I can summarize who God is. The word know in this passage and in other places in the Bible where it says we can know God is talking about a perpetual knowing. It's talking about a continual knowing. It's a process of knowing, not a summarization like, oh, I know God. It's I'm knowing God. And the beauty of of this is that God will make himself knowable. Here's a couple of ways that God makes himself knowable. First off, God says, I never change. I never change. One of the things that I like to do, in fact, I I greeted two guys that walked into the church today, both wearing shirts with the logo of Hornady, Hornady bullets on it. I like to shoot. I know one thing is this. When you shoot, it's a lot easier to hit a target that's not moving. Take the target and move it randomly. Just move it all over the place, and your accuracy is going to go way down when you move that target all over the place. Right? Some of you guys are better shooters than others. I got it. But when you move it all over the place and all you've got is a 22 or you got a 223 or you got a 9 millimeter, it's going to be hard to hit that thing. Not talking about a shotgun shell. God says this I'm not a target that's moving. You don't have to guess at where I'm going to be to find me. I'm solid, I'm stable. I'm the alpha, I'm the omega, I'm the beginning, I'm the end. I never change. I'm knowable, you can find me. It's one of the ways we can know God because he doesn't change. Another way that God presents himself so that we can know him is that God says that he defines himself as father. Jesus is the first one to define God as father. And when Jesus did that in the, in a, in the midst of an audience of people, those people went ballistic. They could not believe that Jesus would call God powerful, almighty father, that they were somehow thinking that Jesus is a heretic and that he's pulling God down to man's level, which was not what Jesus was doing at all. Jesus even said, you know what I do? I do things that please the father. Jesus even went as bold to say this, when people see me and they see my actions and they see the way I love others, they're actually looking at the father. That made people want to kill him. And in fact, that's what they did. And they murdered him on a cross. But they couldn't hold him down because the father, the father had a mission for him and rose him back to life again three days later to the glory of God. Amen? But here's the amazing part. Not only does Jesus call God Father, but that you can call him Father as well. Take a look at what it says in John chapter 1. It says, but to all who believed in him, being Jesus, and accepted him, Jesus, he gave, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. Children of God. Children of God. Children have a father. A father. For some of you, your father is long gone. He's passed away. God's your father. 
Others of you, you were raised in a home where your father was not a real father, abusive, abandoned you, um, was a real jerk, whatever, and you're, you've had a warped view now of God because of your earthly father. I, I just want to let you know, God the Father of heaven and of earth and of you is not an abusive God. He's not a, God, he's not a father that ab- abandons you. He's solid, he's stable, he's true, he doesn't change. He's a loving God, he's not manipulating you. But he's a God of compassion and a God of love and you can put your whole hope in him and you can put your whole trust in him. And this creed says to us, it makes a statement to us. It says, listen, it's not good enough just to believe in God the Father. You must believe in God the Father almighty. And it takes It takes God the Father to a brand new level, and it takes it just from God to Almighty God. And God even defines himself this way. The book of Revelation starts out with God as an example. This is one place, defining himself as an Almighty God. Look what God says about himself. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the what? The Almighty One. You know what the word almighty means? Check this out. The word almighty literally means this. To be, to have power without limits. To have power without limits. Omnipotent. Power without limits. God says that about himself. The creed reminds us that all of God's word is trying to define and point to us that we serve an almighty, powerful God who is without limits. He's sovereign. He stands alone. He is righteous. He is holy. He's perfect in all of his ways. The God of the Bible is all-powerful. He's not a domesticated God, and he's not a tamed God. He is a ferocious, powerful God, almighty, equal to none, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, and the creed points to this fact that God is all-powerful and without limits. And today, if you sit there and all you can say is, I believe in God, and you don't believe in an almighty God, then you just limited the God that I'm talking about. And I'm telling you right now, Carney, North Platte, you know what they don't need? They don't need anybody else that calls themselves a Christian that would model a powder puff God lifestyle. Lots of people call themselves Christians because they go, I believe in God. And what are they doing? They model a powder puff God. We don't serve a powder puff God. We serve a God that's all powerful. When he speaks, things happen. When he moves his finger, things take place. When he said, let there be light, there was light. Just read Genesis chapter 1 for a moment and find out how many words did it take for God to create all the galaxies. Like three. (laughs) Let there be stars. Oh, and then he flung them into their place. Try that someday. He's powerful, guys. He is amazing. And when God becomes not just God, but he becomes almighty God, then watch this. The knowing of God radically increases. If God's just God, it kind of decreases the 
desire to kind of know him. You got to use a lot of religious activity and motion, and then religion becomes what? Works. But when God is almighty and he blows your mind away, and there's this awe factor of God, there's something about that that makes you want to find out more about him. It makes you go from, oh, I can summarize God to, there's no possible way I can summarize this almighty God. How do I do that? I can't do it. So therefore, I'm on a continual quest of just knowing him, knowing him, knowing him. So to believe that God is almighty requires action to back it up. It requires bold, bold living. It requires a lifestyle that desires to pursue and honor him because we recognize he's all-powerful. He's, he started the earth, he stuck the key into the universe, and he turned it. He's the only one that has the key. Nobody else has the key to the universe other than God. There is not another key that some man on this earth holds. God's the one that's got it, and one day he's going to turn the key and he's going to turn the whole universe off. He's the one that has the power for that. So how should we live in, in, in light of the fact that God's almighty? We should live a life of righteousness. But we should also live a life of great and, power, and powerful faith. Faith to believe God for the provisions that we need. Faith to believe God for the wisdom that we need. But let's remember something right now. God, all-powerful, almighty, you don't control him. He controls you. You don't get to come to him, almighty God, and say to him how he's going to use his resources to provide for you. We come to God and say, God, you've already got the master plan for my life. Make me content with what you've given me. Put, a dream, put your dream inside of my heart so that I pray your will, not my will be done, but your will be done. Because he's an all-powerful, almighty God, we have the privilege to come to him and worship him. The second thing that that statement in the creed went on to say was that, that uh, the creator of heaven and earth. The creator. So he's almighty, but he's also the creator of both heaven and earth. Genesis chapter 1, it points right to that, right off the bat. right, And it gives us the account of God creating all things. And how did God create all things, by the way? By his word, he created them. Let there be... Okay, you guys do remember Genesis chapter 1, right? All right. It was like, let, this is like a pop quiz. I'll give you another chance at it, right? Let there be... Okay, that was one of them. That was one of them, right? Let there be light. And so, here's, here's the deal, right? If you, if you don't believe that God is the creator then all of your faith is sitting on shakable ground. It's sitting on ground that's going to crumble and fall apart. Everything about faith starts with Genesis chapter 1 and us coming to a point where we say, God, you are the creator of all things. And if your faith doesn't start there, then it's on shakable ground. Now, some people believe all different kinds of things about creation. Some people believe that God created the earth in six literal days. And that God rested on the seventh literal day. A 24-hour period as man understands it. Others, they go, I don't know how long the day was. You know, when God says in the first day, here's what I did. In the second day, here's what I did. And they go, I don't know how long it was. Other people believe that the earth is 6,000 literal years old. From the moment that God created it till now. Based on carbon dating and timing and all of these different things that they've studied. And other people are like, I don't know how old the earth is. 
How old was it when, you know, God had it and it was formless and there was no light in the universe and then God decided to form it and he separated the seas from the, from the land? I mean, when did that happen? And so other people will say, man, the earth, I don't know. It might be a million, billions of years old. I don't know how old it is. Let me just tell you this. None of those things, none of those things matter. It's not worth arguing over those things. I'm not going to die over a six literal days or a 6,000-year-old earth. But I'll tell you what I will die over. I'll, I'll, get, I'll get my life for this truth. God created it. I'd give my life for that. Would you give your life for that statement? Would you be willing to lay your life down if that's what it took to stand up for a truth that says God created it? He is the maker of heaven and earth. Until we come to that point where we're literally able to say, I'd give my life for that truth, then your faith is built on shaky ground. It's not just a, I think God did it. It's I know God did it. He is the creator of heaven and earth. Psalms 19 speaks to it. Take a listen to what it says. It says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make him known. They speak without sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens even for the sun says the skies display that literally means that the skies are displaying the skies are they never stop displaying the glory of god verse two it said that day after day they continue to speak that literally means that day after day they bubble forth with the wonder and the awe of god day after day they bubble forth you know, science is amazing to me. It keeps finding the wonders of God, and it keeps trying to define them in man's terms. Bubbling forth, they continue to proclaim. It's like science has this wall, and there's water behind the wall, and water keeps bubbling through the wall, and they can't explain. They're like, whoa, that's wonderful. That's incredible. Let me give you an answer for it. And they stick their finger in the wall, and they try to give some kind of a man answer. And then before they can get that one plugged up, another truth keeps bubbling through, and they stick their finger in that hole, and they keep trying to stick their fingers in the holes, and man defined all the wonders and all the awe of God, the creator of heaven and earth. And they can't do it. You put the Hubble Space Telescope up in space years ago, and they started seeing things they've never seen before. It blew them away. I just heard that they're getting ready to put a new telescope up in space that's going to be more powerful and bigger and badder than the, than the Hubble Telescope. Why? Because that's what we do in America. We always build things bigger and badder. And they're going to put that thing up in space, and the day they turn it on, if it works, the day they turn it on, because sometimes it doesn't, but if it works, the day they turn it on, you know what they're going to see? The wonder and the awe of God, creator of heaven and earth. Amen. And you know what man's going to try to do? Try to explain it away with all of his little answers. But you know what things like that tell me? They just show me how incredible and how amazing our God really is in all of his power and in all of his strength to create both heaven and earth. So here's what I want to end with. I want to give you this thought to consider. God is both the creator of the physical, but he's also the creator of the spiritual work with inside of your heart.
Genesis chapter 1, it starts with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The physical. That's what we've been talking about. John, in the New Testament, chapter 1, starts with, in the beginning, the Word existed. The Word was with God. And it says the Word was God. The Word being Jesus. God both is the creator of the physical, but he's also the creator of the spiritual heart that's with inside of you. He's the one who's regenerated, recreated the human heart to go from a wicked, sinful state to a state that can honor him and can glorify him. One that doesn't house the spirit of man, but one that houses the spirit of the, whole, of the holy living God, the Holy Spirit. God's the one who's done that. And so therefore, Genesis chapter 1 becomes like a love letter to you. Genesis chapter 1 is very much like parents, grandparents, listen, you've done this, right? Because I've got these books in my house from my grandchildren. Remember the book that you kept that had all the pictures and all of the little homework that your kids did? And it's a special book, and you got a book for each one of your kids, and it's got all their baby pictures in it. And then when they got to be like, you know, 25 or 30, you showed it to them, and they looked at that, and they were like, man, I was an ugly kid. How'd you guys love me? That's incredible. And then they, they flipped to the next picture, and they're like, well, I don't even think you loved me. Why would you dress me in these clothes? That's ridiculous. And then you got counseling for it and everything. You know, it was ridiculous. But you know the book I'm talking about, right? You know the book that keeps all the dialogue of the days before the kid could actually even remember. Genesis chapter 1 is like God's love letter to you. It's reminding you of his heart for you. And what was going on before you could ever grasp it and before you could ever imagine it. And then John chapter 1 is another one of God's love letters to you, reminding you of his faithfulness to complete the mission through Jesus. We will have relationship together. They're love letters for us to look back and say, this was God's heart for us. This is what he was doing in us. God, both the creator of the physical and the recreator of man's heart, God's the creator. This scripture really speaks heavily to this in 2 Corinthians. It says, For God who said, in Genesis chapter 1, Let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts. John chapter 1. Hearts so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. So God didn't just light the physical darkness with the sun. The S-U-N. God expelled the spiritual darkness from within our own hearts through the power and the light of his Son, S-O-N. God is both an almighty God, God is the creator of all things. And today, we get to come and worship him. Today, whether you're sitting in the venue, nor Platte, or our main auditorium, you're sitting in the presence of not just God, you're sitting in the presence of an almighty God. And we're going to prepare our hearts for worship by going back to the very creed we're talking about and restating it boldly again. I guarantee you, the very first few words are going to have a whole different meaning to you now than maybe even what they did, a greater significance than what they did. So would you stand with me as we prepare our hearts to respond in worship to God in these next few moments? 
and let's join together and let's boldly today, with great faith, proclaim how incredible and how powerful and how mighty our God is. Let's do that together. Would you join me? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. The third day, he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, today our eyes have been opened and been reminded, for some the very first time and for others, a good fresh reminder, Lord, you are an almighty God, and that all things are possible with you, and that we should live our lives not modeling and reflecting a powder puff, God, but an almighty God. Lord, we've been reminded today that you are truly the creator of all things, not just the physical, but you are the creator of a spiritual heart within us through Jesus. Like John chapter 1 says that we get the privilege of coming and worshiping you where otherwise we wouldn't. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for the privilege of seeking you and finding you. Thank you that you are knowable because you never change. And thank you. Thank you that we have the privilege of being children of God and that, Lord, you are our Father. So we come and we worship you with all gratitude in our hearts and we worship you with truth on our lips, declaring like a creed, a worship song that reminds us in its verbiage of the truth that's found in your word, the Bible. May our lives be rooted firmly in your word, the Bible. It's all life. It comes from you. Make yourself known to us today. In Jesus' name, amen.